0: Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you. A good morning to those here at Essex. A good morning to those watching at North Avenue, our North Avenue family. And all of you who are home on a snowy January 2nd, a good morning to you. And happy new year. Uh, just a quick item I'll just highlight as the announcements already said. The next event we have coming up, big event, would be Night to Shine. And quite literally, we need hundreds of people to participate. It's an outdoor event, it's a drive through event. So that means dress accordingly because you will be outdoors if you didn't catch the outdoor drive through event. Uh, and we need, we need hundreds of you to jump in and participate. Uh, The team that's overseeing it has been planning all along here, and they're well into the planning stages. Uh, I drive by and see them out front looking at the front drive, thinking how to paint it red for a red carpet for the drive-through and all those things. You can participate. It's a great opportunity. In fact, it's a great opportunity as well, not only for you to participate, but to bring some with you. Um, Friends, someone you'd like to introduce to the church, Uh, bring them along, sign them up, and say, Hey, come so give us a couple hours on that friday and we'll participate together. So just jump in if you can and be a part of all that's taking place. This morning I want to do a, a begin for the next couple of weeks. I'll say a short series about having a great new year. How to how to approach this new year. And admittedly uh, from a pastoral perspective, you always look at the new year and what I want to say, where you want to go, but admittedly, we're in these odd times that make you look at it all and try to figure it out, and how do you really give a message of hope? What, how, do you, how do you get ready for what's ahead of us? And I'm hoping to do that this morning. I want to show you and have us walk through a strategic passage of Scripture that is absolutely strategic to not only a good year, but a great year. And also a strategic passage for any event that you might encounter. But I I would also say, not only is it strategic, but it's also very difficult. A very difficult passage and a very difficult principle. Now, before we get there, let's acknowledge first of all that we are living in some of the craziest times ever. There is a heightened level uh, in Christians of looking at what's happening and thinking, is this the end? Are we approaching end times? There's a heightened a feeling in the whole world of, of a, a time that we never would have dreamt possible, where we're living right now in these moments. Times that have people frightened, wondering what's next, what's going to take place next. Uh, financial unsureness cultural unrest Uh, some would look at everything happening and think man God's re-entry into the world through the second coming could happen at any moment I mean it's all ripe for the happening and for the time taking place now I'll tell you something I've said all through the years I do believe we're in the end times but I've always said that because every day you live you're a little closer to the end of your time And I don't mean to be trite with that very sincerely. I mean that quite honestly. And I think that's what God intended for us to recognize is that every single day we're alive, we're one day closer to the end. So live your life accordingly. We see the events that happen around us, and we take those in, and we kind of get focused on that and see it kind of amped up or magnified, but quite honestly, what God would say all along is live today like you're in the end times. Some of the quotes I just gave were actually quotes, I should say. Like, we need to acknowledge that we're in some crazy times. Times that we never thought possible. Francis Chan made that statement back in 2012. Uh, times that we're living in today are frightening times where people are wondering what's going to happen next. Anley Stanley, 2001. Um, financial insuredness. Cultural unrest. They, they, God's entrance back into the world could happen any day now. Jerry Falwell, 1999. And my point would be that I can take you back in time and show you the times and show you the events of time and how at any given moment people looked at it and good Christian solid believers would say, man, we're close. I want to come back and say to you, live your life as if you're close because we are. But we are living in a time that is uneasy And Jesus told his disciples something in Luke 21. This is probably one of the most uncomfortable passages of of, uh, Jesus' time on earth in Luke 21. I'm not going to be into it very long here. I want to give you just one small piece of it. And in Luke 21, Jesus says this. He says, people will be fainting with fear and apprehension of what's happening and yet to come in this world. If you want to read Luke 21 at some point in time, you can read the, the accounting, this prophetic word, and it's, not a, a, it's, it's an unsettling picture. And what Jesus says is that when all these things are happening, he point blank says, you're going to find us living in a time where people are fainting with fear, and apprehension is at an all-time high. And then in Luke 21, same passage, he continues saying, listen, here's the paraphrase. People are going to look at this world, and they're going to grab their head and put their head in their hands, and they're going to say, I don't know what to do. He said people are going to look at this world, they're going to look at the economy, they're going to look at all the things that are going wrong in this world, and they're going to to be absolutely terrified because they've never experienced anything like this. But then a few verses later, in the same passage in Luke 21, Jesus says these words, look at this verse in Luke 21, 28. Now when these things begin to take place, just stop there, the things he's talking about are all the things that have us unsettled. If you are unsettled at all about what's happening around you, he's saying when these things take place, the unsettling things, look what he says, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Friends, I hope that you can see that for what it is and embrace it. I love this picture. What God is telling us through the writer Luke, he says, listen, when everyone else is passing out terrified, when everyone else is frightened, when everyone else is saying what to do and what's going to happen next, he goes, that's them, but that's not you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he goes, that's not for my followers. To my followers, when it's all really bad out there, here's what I want to tell you. Straighten up. Get your head out of your hands. Stop shaking your head because you need to know the best is yet to come. The redemption is close. So when everything looks bad, you're supposed to be unlike the rest of them. When everyone else is looking at a prophetic word of doom, you get ready because your redemption is close. So get your head out of your hands and stand upright with a smile and face the world. I love that picture. I love that picture, how we in this chaotic world are supposed to be lifting up our heads with a smile saying, I'm not afraid of this because I know the ending. Remember the TV series 24? I could never get into to this, the, this series, 24. Jack Bauer, it was all set where the fact that you're in a 24-hour period of time. Every show, was, he's, he's living out these 24-hour period of time where Jack Bauer, this agent, is out there to stop the, the catastrophic ending of the world or an act of terrorism. And every week, it would end you on, a, on some cliffhanger-type moment. I'm not, I'm not good at series. Now, I can get into some, but the reason I'm not is because, you know, I just hate something where you got to go to the next one or the next one. I mean, I, I like the one and done, you know, see it, get the plot, get it over, get done. So with a series, though, it's not done. You know, you watch it and you go, oh, and then it leaves you hanging for the next and for the next. There was another one out, so Diane and I got into that one, but then they stopped filming it, uh, bringing it back, again. Jack Ryan, see I I like the spy type ones, and Jack Ryan, he's an agent, same kind of thing. Now when we first got into that series, Diane had said, hey, I want to watch this series called Jack Ryan, so we should put it on, and we're well into season one, I think we're at the end of season one, there's another season coming, same kind of thing. You know, Jack, Jack Ryan is trying to defuse uh, the next act of terrorism, whatever, and every week it ends right on the edge. There's some great moment that's going to take place. But I have to tell you, it's a lot easier, well, number one, it's a lot easier having it recorded because I can binge watch them and so I don't have to do the wait and wait for the end. But I have to tell you as well that when it comes to the end of each, of each episode and you're at the edge of what's going to happen next, you stop and you go, wait a minute, there's season two. Jack isn't dying here, though it looks like it's near death. He's not dying because there's a season two, and you can't have season two without the character. And I, I want you to say that when you know that, it makes it far easier to watch the series because you know the next season's coming. You know what's going to take place next. Now, quite honestly, uh, it's still fun to watch. You've still got all the enjoyment out of it, Every, but, you, but you watch it knowing everything's going to be fine because there's another season. I would suggest to you that that's exactly what God would have us see. And what Jesus is trying to get at with his disciples, he's saying to them, listen, when you're in this world and it's all going haywire, and if you think it's the end or you think it maybe is not the end, but certainly there's a lot of stuff going on, it's supposed to be easier for you because you know there's another season coming. You know there's a second season and a third and a fourth. In fact, millions of seasons coming, if we're talking about eternity. Let me read for you a passage real quickly from the Bible that a lot of anxious Christians have either forgotten about, ignore, or don't know that it exists, and I'd be one of them. Now, I know it exists, but I forget it. Let me read it for you in Revelation chapter 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there shall be mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have all passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. I got to tell you, folks, that's a great ending to the story. It's incredible. I love that. For anxious people, for scared people, for every one of us who have our moments of being there, remember the end. Let me give you a great, great perspective that'll help you. You know how, you know, if you're a sports fan and your team, I won't say names, the Yankees, something like that, but you know how <clears throat> you've got your teams and you know how when your team management in the off season does dumb things, you know how you can't wait to be with your other sports fans so you can just rail, on the, you know, how dumb they are, how stupid they are. It might be in a political realm, how you like to get with someone who's in the same page with you, so you can rail against whatever it might be, right? So you got that picture, because we do that all the time. We love to get through That's not right. They shouldn't be doing that. What's wrong with these guys? You know, how you just like to, you know, have your moment of railing against whatever it might be. We all do that in some way, shape, or form. Do you remember that as a follower of Jesus, 200 years from now, now, it's going to be much longer than that, but I'll just pick 200 because we'll all be gone for sure by then. But 200 years from now, do you still realize that 200 years from now, we're still going to be seeing each other. We're going to still be with each other. We're going to be looking at each other face to face, eye to eye. And instead of talking about all the stuff that's bad, we're going to be talking about how right it all is. Do you realize if you're a follower of Jesus, 200 years from now, we're still going to be together, looking at each other face to face, but we're going to be talking about how good it all is, instead of railing on how bad it all is. Why? Because the text says, because the dwelling place of God will be with us, that we will have God's presence with us. Like in the beginning with Adam and Eve, where he'd go in the, the, the cool of the day and walk with them and talk with them. God with us and we'll be with him and looking at him and he with us and we're going to say man everything is good we're going we're to find our moments that we can't wait to talk to someone and just talk about all the good and how good life has gotten yeah, I got an idea for you if that's the way it will be based upon the way that it is in eternity right now why not start that now I guarantee your life will be better I guarantee you'll have a whole lot more joy if you begin with that perspective now so we can start that in this moment. Now, to that end, to get us to that place, because for most of us, we would say, it's pretty hard to do that, because quite honestly, there's a lot of bad stuff, and a lot of stuff to rail against, a lot of stuff to be anxious about, so it's pretty hard to grab that, so that's where this passage comes in, I we to talk about this one. The Apostle Paul gives us a passage, which is incredibly helpful, it's very, very strategic, in facing this new year, facing issues. And you're going to recognize it as soon as I say it. But along with being strategic, it's also going to be very, very difficult. Philippians chapter 4 begins in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. Now, as you read that, make sure whenever you read that verse, a lot of us will read it for encouragement. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But please remember, it's actually a command. It's actually a commandment from God. I would contend it's probably the hardest commandment. But it's a commandment from God. But admittedly, we don't often see it as a commandment because it doesn't fit and sound like a commandment. Right? It doesn't fit like a typical commandment. I mean, the commandment we think of is don't sin. That's a commandment. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. We got that. We got, we got that. But this one's too happy to be a commandment. I mean, and plus it's positive. Smile. Be joyful. We look at it, and it doesn't fit the commandment piece. And so we, we tend to not take it quite as seriously, if you would. But it doesn't matter how you choose to view it. It's a command from God. And that is, if God can read our minds, which, by the way, he can, you know, read your mind, as if he's reading our minds, he says to us, listen, here's the deal. I want you as my followers, no matter what happens, I want you to rejoice always. And we go, are you kidding me? always really and about the time that's what we're thinking God doubles down about the time we go are you serious he goes I am in fact I'll say it again for you rejoice (laughs) rejoice in the Lord always you got to be kidding me I'm not kidding and again I'll say it rejoice he doubles down now let's be honest it's hard to take this as a commandment but there's another reason not just because it's happy There's another key reason why it's hard to take this as a commandment, because if we're honest, part of our struggle is we struggle with it because it seems that some people are born with more natural joy than others. See, it's hard to take it as a commandment because if you say, don't steal, that's kind of this universal thing, don't do it. But when it says, hey, rejoice, we think about joy in there, be joyful, we kind of write it off because we go, well, you know, I can't help some of that. I mean, you cannot steal, but with joy, that's kind of your wiring. And the problem we have with accepting it as a commandment is we know there are some people that we look at, they just seem to be natural-born rejoicers. And it's not us. It's a small number. There are some of you who are natural-born rejoicers, and we just don't know what to do with you. Because we don't live in that world. Some of you walk around with a smile all the time, and for most of us, it's just a hard one to do. Now, it's not that we're downers, but for some of us, like, I'm a problem solver. So if things are bad, I go to the mindset of, how do I fix it? So I'm not a downer, I'm just on the, what do I got to do here? How do we get through this? What do we got to fix? What do we got to do? How do, you, how do we address this thing? And so it's not that I'm down on it, it's just I'm trying to uh, kind of figure out a solution to it. Now listen, we look at this thing and we go, well, it's not a fair commandment because I'm not naturally joyful. So we write it off, oftentimes, many of us, because we're thinking that it's just just not that easy. But now listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is where the Holy Spirit comes to work. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and this is exactly what he does. He changes you. The Holy Spirit helps you focus on the right things to see the right things and helps you understand what you have in God that allows you then to rejoice. See, the problem with rejoicing is typically when he says rejoice in anything and in everything, the problem is we're applying that in the issues of life as opposed to applying it based on what we have to bring with us into the issues of life. Let me quickly give you a picture of what you have in God, of what I believe the Apostle Paul would like us to remember if he's actually going to tell us that we're supposed to rejoice. Understand that right now, right now in this moment, in heaven, while we're gathered here, while you're in your living room, while I'm preaching, right now while we're gathered here, there is a God, the only God, the only living God, and he is seated on the throne of heaven. He is seated on the throne of eternity. And by the way, he's in charge of everything. Everything is at his command. Everything I have, he has provided for me. Everything that I enjoy, everything that I take pleasure in, everything that gives me joy, makes me smile, it's all been provided by him. I just took a breath, provided by God. You just took a breath, provided by God. You got here in a car this morning, provided by Him. Everything is provided by His gracious hand. This God is so holy that the Bible says and describes Him as dwelling in a place of unapproachable light. His, he is so pure and so holy that he radiates this pure brightness, if you will, that the Bible even tells us that the angels themselves have to cover themselves head to toe with their wings because they are not worthy to be in the presence of that holiness. And yet the Bible says that because of Jesus, I'm invited into that holiness. Think about that. The created creatures of heaven hide their face because they can't be in God's presence, and because of Jesus, I'm invited to be in God's presence. Not just allowed, I'm invited in. He welcomes me to come in. He wants me to come into that presence. I can talk to him. I can approach him. Not only do I have that right, not only is it a privilege, but he hopes and waits for me to enter into his presence. Lightning and thunder, fire. Fire radiates from his throne. And yet not one of those things will touch us because we belong to him. He knows everything about me. He knows everything that I've ever done. He knows every horrible thought I've ever had, every act of disobedience, every secret sin. And yet he looks at me and says, man, I love him and I will never stop. In fact, he loves me so much and he loves you so much, you know the story. He sent his son into this world to pay for all of my sins. And then on top of that, he says, on top of your sins being taken care of, one day you will all live with me forever in eternity in heaven. But until then, I'm not going to abandon you. For until then, my presence will still be with you. For when you give your heart to me, I'll put my Holy Spirit inside of you. So I'm always with you. And then he says, and nothing that you can ever do will separate you from my love. There's nothing that you can do, nothing, that would make me love you less. And then one day, I'm going to create a whole new heaven and a whole new earth and a new Jerusalem, and you're going to be right there with me forever to enjoy it. And we will walk and we will talk together forever. I got a question for you. Have you ever let the events of the current culture Or the events of the day cause you to forget how good you have it in God? And the answer to that is yes. About every day I look at my news feed, I forget it. Have you ever let the events of the modern day culture cause you to forget how good you have it in Him? Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again. Rejoice. Be honest here with yourself. Forget us. Be honest with yourself. When's the last time that you weren't trying to fix things? Where the last time you weren't trying to figure out this world? When's the last time you weren't trying to make sense of it all? When's the last time where you weren't railing against something or anxious about something and you were just plain rejoicing? When's the last time in the middle of this world you just found yourself sitting there just elated to know God and to know that He knows you and just rejoicing in that moment? Remembering how good you have it. Now, look what it says next, verse 5. So rejoice, Lord, always. Again, I'll say rejoice. And let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Man, I like that. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. God says this. This is how I want you to be known to all the people. Anyone who knows you, I want them to look at you and say, Man, they are so reasonable. In the middle of this world. I have a question for you. Do we live in a reasonable world or an unreasonable world? The answer, unreasonable world. We are now in a culture where no one seems to be reasonable. We are so split and so divided in every single issue that comes along. Internet doesn't help us with that. We are so divided that it's hard to find reasonable people, if you will. But I like that. He says, in this world lacking reasonableness... You're to be the ones who are so reasonable. Now, what does that mean? When things happen to you, when things happen in this world, don't let them phase you like they phase everyone else. Why? Because God says, because I'm so in love with you and you in love with me that that should put everything else in perspective. Does it for you? Does the love of God put the rest of the world in perspective for you? And the answer for every single one of us is mm, maybe sometimes, but oftentimes not. Because we live in this now. We live in the here and now. We live in the moment. And so we, 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 we miss the fact that God says, but wait a minute, but my love, my love is supposed to chase away all these other issues. And it gives you this reasonable nature. Let me give you a perspective. About 42 years ago, I saw the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen in my life. Her name was Diane. If you don't know, that's my wife's name, Diane. <clears throat> if you don't know, I'm talking about the same girls. Just, just make it clear for you. I know some of you are a little slow at the beginning of the year, you're going, oh, he's got a girlfriend. No, I do not. I mean, I do, but it's my wife. I met Diane. She was she was beautiful. I was so out of my league. I saw her walk in the first day I've told some of you the story. I saw her walk into the, the lobby of the college I was going to the her very first day. I looked at her and said, Oh, I gotta ask her out. I'm going to ask her out, but I had no confidence to ask her out. She was, she was over, over my head. But I knew her brother. Now, I didn't know that they were even brother and sister until I had said to him, I oh, mean, i like to ask that girl out. He goes, that's my sister. So I paid him to go to her. Um, <laughs> the, the debate in our family for years between Diane and I, she contends I paid him 20 bucks. It was only five, but 20. So it doesn't matter. Uh, I paid him money. Literally, and he made me pay up front. Can you believe that? I said, if I pay you, would you go talk to her? Sure, give me the money first. And he went and talked to her. And uh, he, had, he came back kind of laughing, saying, so I asked her, and she said, go out with you, but I had to describe who you were. I'm thinking, ooh, how do you describe me? You know, the handsome one? I mean, exactly what were the words that he used? And he said, she, I described you, and I had long hair down on my shoulders. So he was describing, and she knew who I was, and she said, absolutely, I'd go out with him. So I asked her out. Uh, i got to tell you, there's just something about having the confidence that you already have the answer before you ask. That's very redeeming, I have to tell you. I was just so confident. She said, yes, our first date was the Minnesota State Fair, uh, a fair that's just jam-packed full of people the day that we went. I mean, like hundreds of thousands of people. We were in one area where it was shoulder to shoulder. Our first date ever, been together for maybe two or three hours. And I said to her in this, this packed crowd, I better take your hand just so we don't get separated. Boom! Let me tell you right there, huh? I got got the, you know, you want a first date? Go to a crowded place and take their hand. She took my hand, didn't let go. Two years later, we're married. I was, I am in love with that girl. Today, as much as ever in my life. And she loves me. Now, here's the point. With that love with her intact, I really don't care what the rest of you think about me. Right? In ministry, you make choices, you make decisions, you lead in such a way, and someone's always going to be upset with you, mad at you, whatever the case, and I go, eh. Now, it's not that I don't care about you. Don't hear that. But when someone's mad, I, you kind of, eh, why? Because she's not. Because we're together. I got her. She has me. So, you face these things. Wreck a car. Everybody okay? Just a car. Why? Well, because we have us. I backed the car out of the garage door one day with the garage door down. (laughs) Halfway down, even worse. And normally that would just bug me. And it bugged me, but I have her. Of course, I had her going, You did what? I mean, I still have her. It changes everything. Now, that's the idea here that I think God is trying to get us to see. I know that I have him. I have the God of heaven who made the entire world, and he loves me, and I love him. So stuff happens. Eh. But the world's falling apart. Eh. But look what crisis is coming next. Ha. See, that's the picture he wants us to give that you're so in love with him, he is so in love with you, that when you look at all things in this world, you just kind of go, ah. And because of that love with God, the world should see in you a reasonableness. Very sincerely, Christians, I don't think you have the right to go unreasonable. I think what God says is because of your relationship with him, you are supposed to be the reasonable one. The reasonable one. Unfortunately, modern-day politics and modern-day things have caused a lot of christians to lose the reasonableness where god says i want you to be known by that out in that world i want you to be known sweet reasonableness is that what people would say is one of your most known qualities and keep going verse six now don't be anxious about anything see it gets harder it's not getting easier, it's getting harder. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything. Yet another command. Don't be anxious. Well, now this isn't a real command either, right? We look at this and we kind of go, that's ah, not a real command either, because you know, some people are born natural warriors. So it's, again, it's not a fair command. If it is one, it's not fair. Others are, are born afraid. Others are afraid of nothing. You've been with those people that just seem to be afraid of absolutely nothing, anxious for nothing. And you kind of go, I don't get them. I, I don't understand that. I mean, it, it seems like an impossible thing. Be anxious? Don't be anxious for anything, right? Never be anxious. Is that possible? I mean, quite honestly, is anyone here not anxious or worried about anything or you've never been worried or anxious about anything in your life Ever? And immediately we kind of go, yeah, that's not us. So I guess we're not living up to the commandment. But not only is it possible, because most of us would say not possible, not only is it possible not to be anxious, but it's also a command. And I want to remind you, God would not command you to do anything that was impossible for you to do. So use your imagination here for a moment. Just use your imagination. Imagine if you didn't worry about anything else for the rest of your life. Imagine your life completely anxiety-free, no worries about anything for the rest of your life. What if you could pull that off? For the rest of your time on this earth, no matter what happened in the world, no matter what happened to you, not one thing could take place that would make you anxious or worried. Now, just imagine this. Can you imagine how, much, how, how many people would like you? Can you imagine how people would love to be around you? why don't you like to be around someone who's rocks out and in a in a in a moment of anxiety and chaos people would swarm to be around you that'd be the perfect person to hang out with reasonable and never anxious see one of the reasons why God wants his followers to not be anxious is because in the anxious moments that's one of the ways that he makes himself known to people people who are anxious would be drawn to you because you're not anxious it's possible Now please know when you talk about anxiousness, none of us bat a thousand here. There will be ups and there will be downs. But in the downs, if you remember what you have in God, and then, catch this, remember what you have in Him, and then trade whatever it is that's making you anxious, trade it to Him for His peace. And you do that by praying. You do it by talking to Him. But it also says here, but you do it by giving thanksgiving. Don't be anxious, pray. The antidote for anxiousness is prayer. But then it also says here that what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to come with Him, come to Him with thanksgiving. Let's be transparent here. I've prayed with God. I've taken my anxious moments, brought them to God, and prayed, and I've still left anxious. Haven't you? <clears throat> Haven't you had a couple moments where you've been pretty anxious, worried? Sat down, oh God. And you pour it all to Him, and you get all done and say Amen, walk away, and you're still anxious. So you're going, well, what went wrong there? I'll give you an illustration. You ever have something very important that you got to get done? Your your plate is full. you got a lot of things going on. You have something very very important that you need to get done. And so instead of you doing it, you assign it to someone. You ever have that where you assign it to one of your kids or you assign it to your spouse or maybe you assign it to an employee. Hey, I need this done and you give it to them. Now, here's my question for you. When you're giving it to them and you put it in their hands, are you anxious about it or relieved? When you give it, you hand it off to your spouse, to one of your kids, to a coworker, to an employee. You got to get this thing done. It's it's creating, ca- causing you great anxiousness, and you give it to them to get it done. When you do that, when you hand it off, does that take your anxiousness away, uh, and so you find yourself relieved, or are you still anxious? Now the answer, correct answer to that is what? It depends, right? It depends. What's it depend on? Well, how trustworthy is the person that I'm giving it to? Some of you with children would say, which child exactly am I giving it to? <laughs> right? Some of you go, exactly which one? Because one of the children you might give it to, you'd go, done. Not going to worry about a thing. They'll probably do it that I could better, better than I can do it myself. And the other one you'd say, oh, I better check in three times a day. To see if it's getting done. And that's the same with a spouse, same with a coworker. All depends on the level of trustworthiness that person has. So the first thing would say depends upon what, whether, you, whether you trust them or not. But the second thing that would depend on you, and that is whether you're willing to actually give it to them or not and let go of it. I'd be really curious to see how many of us hand things off to people and yet still want to hold on to them. See, that's a prerequisite. Now, God wants us to trust Him. Because just so you know, if the answer is it depends and if the person's trustworthy or not, I would say to you, A, he is. And then B, I would say, but you also have to give it to him and release it. You've got to let it go and let him have it. God wants you to trust him. He is faithful and he is reliable. Then let it go. But I also like in here, I like and hate at the same time, I like in here it says that you take your anxiousness and you give it to him and you trade it for peace, but you do so with thanksgiving. Now, that is actually an incredibly difficult thing. I mean, because quite honestly, the first thing that runs out the door when anxiousness runs in the door is thanksgiving runs out. Think about it. Are you real thankful in the middle of anxiousness? It's pretty hard to be thankful when you're worried and full of anxiety, and again, some transparency here. It sometimes feels to me that to sit around and give thanks and to worship would be a waste of time when that'd be a good time for me to go fix the problem. Doesn't that fit sometimes? Instead of sitting around worshiping and thanking God, I could be solving this thing right now. I could be working out a plan. I could, have a, I could be uh, working out how to fix this thing. Now, to say it nicely, that's misguided. To say it honestly and openly, that's arrogance. Arrogance. For me to think that instead of stopping and thanking him, I could actually do better than him in fixing it. So God says rejoice and take your anxiousness and with giving thanks, give that to me. And then verse 7, keep going. Look what he says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me, let me rephrase it for you. Paraphrase a little bit. God says this. I want you to know I own peace. Catch that? God would say, I just want you all to know, I created peace. Peace is my deal. It's mine, and I own it. Peace all belongs to me. That peace that we talk about, peace is the hallmark of my position that I'm in every single day. No matter what takes place, the hallmark of my state of being is what? At constant peace. Peace belongs to me, but... If you bring your anxiousness, I'll trade you. And I will give to you what is actually mine. I own peace. But if you're willing to bring your anxiousness to me, I will give to you instead my peace. Think about this right now in your mind. Think of God right now. He is seated on the throne of heaven. And he's not worried about a thing. Some of you already have looked at the news and been following some, maybe whatever it might be you might be following or seeing, and you look at it and you go, oh my. I get my news feeds, I look and I go, oh my. And right now, God is seated on his throne and there's no oh mys. There's no worry. He's not looking down on earth, wringing his hands and wondering what to do. No, he is sitting on his throne in absolute peace. And God would want you to know, I know, he says, I know every single day before any one of them comes to be exactly what's going to take place. Nothing takes me by surprise, not one thing. We get stressed and we get anxious because we don't have control, but for the God seated on the throne who has complete control, he says, perfect peace. And then he would say this to you, and that thing that's weighing on your mind, that thing that has you anxious for tomorrow, I am well aware of that as well. And if you give it to me, I'll trade you for my peace. And we say that's impossible. God says, no, that's supernatural. Now, I can in these moments, will all of you Christians be in here in church? And giving a good encouraging message, I can make the case that will charge you up and pump you up. Especially take the worship team, put the worship we just had. I can bring you in, pump you up, and send you out and go, boom, that was good. I mean, the worship was good. I mean, the, the sermon was even better than the worship. Fantastic. I mean, wow, what a day. But what happens on Monday? What happens by Friday? For most of us, we're right back to the same worry. We're right back to the same anxiety because you've lost this. You see, God wants his children to be rejoicing, and that's why he gives us the next verse in verse 8. So finally, brothers, this is to get you over this. It's a great Sunday, but Monday's coming. So finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Now you need to understand that that is so relevant to us today because we tend to focus on the bad news, not the good news. We focus on that which is wrong, we focus on that which is chaotic, we focus on that which is troubling, as opposed to those things that are redemptive, that are pure, that are lovely, that are commandable. You need to understand a very key statement here, and I mean this so sincerely friends there is a battle taking place every single day for your mind and for your thoughts the evil one would have you focus on the events of this world because when you're focused on them you're not focused on him the 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 god of all creation in your mind you can think about what you have in god or you can think about the last thing that happened in the world In your mind, you can think about the fact that God is seated on the throne and let's say we really are in the end times. You can stand up straight and pick your head up and know that your redemption is close or you can worry about what tomorrow brings. God wants his children rejoicing. He wants to look down and while everyone else is stressing out and fainting, he wants to say, not my kids. He wants to be able to say this about you. He wants to say, not my kids. I've brought my children up differently. And my children don't pass out and faint out of fear. My kids have peace and a reasonableness about everything so that people actually want to be around them. Let me end with this story. Francis Chan, well-known Christian author and pastor, tells this story. His oldest daughter was in middle school. She came home with an F on a test. She's never had an F, she's a good student, never had an F, and he would jokingly say, listen, you know, you know, no, no Fs allowed in an Asian family. He said, I'm in you know, an Asian family and that's not acceptable. And she came home with an F. She brought the F home to her mom and said, do I have to tell Dad this? And she said, yes. So she builds up the courage and she goes into Francis Chan's study and she says, Dad, I, I have to give you this, I got an F on a test. An F, he's thinking, an F? He, he looked at her and said, how could you get an F? It's not acceptable, how did you do that? and so he begins processing how this could be like most of us would do he goes well was it a surprise test she said no well is it, was it, is it on something that you're not, you're not understanding or getting you need help with no did you forget to study no I mean how do you explain an F and she said this I just decided that I had other things I wanted to do and so I just didn't care so I didn't study at all on, by my choice And while she's talking, he finds himself saying, she's admitting the fact that she did this on purpose. So he said, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And while he's thinking this, then what kind of startles him into action is that while he's thinking, what do I do? She stops, there's this pause, and he looks at her, and she goes, so dad, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to me? So what am I going to do? What am I do? And so he said, I began to hear myself say these words. I looked at her, and I said, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to take you out to dinner, to the restaurant of your choice. And after that, we're going to go to the movie, and you pick out the movie. And then after that, we're going to get ice cream, and we're going to celebrate tonight your F. And she went, why? And he said these words. Because I want you to know what grace is. What grace is when we deserve to be punished and instead of punishing us, he blesses us. Now listen to what he said next. Oh, I wish that was as sharp as a parent to have said this. He said, I want you to understand that this is what God has done in daddy's life. I should have been destroyed for the so many things that I have done in my past. Yet God not only forgave me HE CHOSE TO BLESS ME. AND ONE OF THE WAYS THAT HE HAS BLESSED ME IS HE GAVE ME YOU. AND HE GAVE ME A FUTURE. THAT'S GRACE. AND I WANT YOU TO EXPERIENCE THAT GRACE LIKE I HAVE. AND THEN HE PAUSED AND SAID, I WANT YOU TO EXPERIENCE IT JUST ONCE. WE'RE NOT MAKING THIS A HABIT. So they went to dinner, and they went to the movies, and they got ice cream. And throughout the night, during all of this, his daughter would break into tears and say, I'm so sorry. I love you, Daddy. And he would say, I love you. That's what you have in your heavenly Father. So if you have that in your heavenly Father, tell me exactly what can happen in this world that would bring you down. Tell me exactly what could happen in this world that would make you anxious when you have that Father and you know the end of the story. So whatever is weighing you down right now, whatever weighs you down tomorrow, whatever weighs you down the next news feed, whatever event that happens that weighs you down and causes you anxious, whatever this new year throws at you that you never saw coming, I end with this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And if you're saying, boy, that's hard, I would say, and again, I would say, rejoice. Stand, let's pray. Lord Jesus, might we be encouraged today by your word. When we read those passages and we think oh man they're so good well they are good because they work it's because what you expect of us is to respond in such a way and when we do that then we experience your peace not while we're worried about the world not we're caught up in the next thing but when we bring them to you then we get your peace we don't know what this year brings I mean we know that there's no such thing as a perfect year no such thing as a flawless year So we know there'll be a lot of great moments, but we know there's going to be a lot of things that we just can't possibly see coming. Rejoice in you always. Doesn't matter what it is. May we experience your grace. Thank you for being that heavenly Father that wants us to experience your grace. Whatever might happen today, tomorrow, the coming year, help us remember there's another season coming. Second season still out there, third and fourth, and a millionth season. It's called eternity. And might that change us all for Jesus. Amen. God bless you.